And good evening, ladies and gentlemen, from the highest point on Florida State's campus and the hottest room in Seminole Sports. You're listening to Tomahawk Talk on WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State, coming to you live from Room 420 inside of Diffenbaugh. Save your jokes at the door. I am your host, Nicholas Carlisle, bringing you the latest, greatest, and you guessed it, Florida State is in everything sports, or at least as much as we can fit within the hour for people all around the world. Of course, you can find us on Twitter at talk underscore Tomahawk. We have Jenny and Lauren on the handle tonight, so make sure you say hello to them. And you can call into the show at 850-644-1837. Once again, that's 850-644-1837. Welcome to Tomahawk Talk, everybody. A wild week for the cast and crew uh, for <laughs> of Tomahawk Talk, and a wild weekend for Florida State sports in general. Lots of birthdays. Lots of birthdays. Lots. Happy belated ha- birthday! Uh, Nick. Yeah. Thank How you. old are you turning, buddy? Eighteen uh, now? Fifteen. Fifteen. <laughs> yeah. Just uh, no. That, that, I, I think there's some serious work stuff that might become problems if I was actually fifteen. Well, good thing we don't have to worry about. Well, that, yeah. Right? No. Twenty-two. Uh, feeling feeling twenty-two. Well, not <laughs> not as not as fun as twenty-one. <laughs> but I think that's that that kind of goes without saying. Welcome but to the club, bud. Welcome to the club, indeed. A um, couple of VNA nine birthdays um, over the past few weeks. There's been there's been yours. There's been Luke, Luke. Faze. There's Brandon Spencer's today. Uh, every everybody turn seems to be going up in the age meter uh, about the uh, about the same time. <laughs> uh, so, but it was also a very wild weekend for Florida State sports in general. Football is back for Florida State, so I can finally get to sound like I know what I'm talking about again. <laughs> Chris finally gets to sound like he doesn't know what he's talking about again, hey, and and we're just going to have a bunch of fun along <laughs> the way. Uh, Florida State baseball just keeps getting worse and worse, and with it, I'm definitely getting less and less forgiving. We're going to talk about what they need to do to get on track uh, in a tough week for the team. They got the Gators and Clemson Tigers this week, so uh, not the easiest week to get back on track, but crazier things have happened. And, of course, our takes on what we saw from the Florida, Sp- uh, the Florida State excuse me, spring game. And we do have a championship game tonight. Texas Tech and Virginia both looking to uh, capture their first title tonight. But uh, a little bit late start, if I'm honest. Uh, not sure why it's that late. I always thought that it was started at, like, like at 8 o'clock uh, the, well, time, you know, they they, they got to give the the prime time slot, you know, for for people out in the West Coast too. Yeah. A little bit of a late people want to eat is, dinner, and... it, but it's in Minneapolis, so I guess I guess technically it is starting at eight. It's just uh, it's yeah, just, it's just yeah. Uh, it's an, okay. An hour you back. can stay a little. I know you're 22, but you can stay up a little bit past your bedtime. Oh, uh, well, I'm. It's fine. <laughs> I'm, I've been up as, almost as long as you, but maybe <laughs> maybe not that much. Uh, it's also Monday, and we're extremely tired. But yes. you know, okay. that's that's kind of how things go sometimes. But. Uh, we do have lots to talk about, lots to chop through, so let's get right into it. What is a captain without his crew? I'm joined, as always, by my good friend and co-host, Chris Camacho. Hey there. I, I, I said you were extremely tired, but <laughs> how are you, you going to make it through the show? What's Nick, your, what's we're your, work, we're what's your on, game plan? We're working on hour 23 right now of, of, <laughs> of my consciousness right now. Hour 23 of nonstop Chris of non yeah exactly. I've been up for twenty three hours. Worked on a on a eight page paper last night that I uh, started at two a.m. Uh, eight pages. Yeah, That's rookie numbers, man. I know. Tell me about it. But still, I was. It was one of those like, oh, you know, it's eight pages. No big deal. I can get through it. And then you know, six hours later of me working on it, it's uh-huh. it's fine. But uh-huh. uh, I'm good. And you know what? Fun fact: by the end of this, uh, by the end of the show, it'll be officially twenty four hours. So. <laughs> Let's get it going. All right, send send Chris your thoughts and prayers, and you and will your pillows. He, and pillows. You will know if he falls asleep on show because you're just gonna hear like a, 
and it's just yep it's just just like just a crash to the floor uh, <laughs> and uh joining us tonight the other luke luke hazen always good to have you on the show bud how are you glad to be here glad to be here you know chris talked about how uh, his procrastination led him to staying up for almost 24 hours right chris thank you bud yeah. Well, yeah well i've also stayed up but it's due to another cause and that cause is called baseball I've been watching way too many late night Dodger games lately, and I am I am tired as well. How do you like the show, man? How do you like the the bomb show? Cody Bellinger is a beast. Oh my goodness, absolute beast. Yes, but I'm glad to be here. And to his right, Matt Popdak. Uh, I believe this is your the first time on the show, right? Yes, it you, is. You, you've done the seminal segment. It's about time we got you on the show. Uh, how are you feeling? I'm great. I'm happy. Uh, the Orlando Magic, you know, clinched a playoff spot last time they were in the playoffs. I was in seventh grade, so wow, a little bit of a Feeling old now. Yeah, <laughs> feeling old. You're feeling old. I feel old. Um, you know, of course, the birthday yesterday, and now just the Magic haven't been in the playoffs. Well, I mean, they're in the playoffs now, but seven years. It's a nice birthday gift for you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. as a huge fan, I'm thrilled. Um, <laughs> Chris Camacho, Luke Hayes, and Matt Popdak. And once again, I'm your host, Nick Carlisle. We are starting off the top, which if you didn't already know, is the segment where I take a look at the past week in sports, rip the top stories, and ask our panel about them, forcing them to come up with the answers off the top of their head at the top of the show. And tonight, Duke men's basketball is looking into allegations that star freshman forward Zion Williamson was swayed to come to Duke by Nike via contact with his mother in a 41-page document, lawyer Michael uh, Avenatti, I think that's how you pronounce Avenetti, his Avenetti, Avenatti, uh, claims that money. Zion's mother received money from Nike during her son's recruitment. Um, of course, Nike is tied to Duke's men's basketball, and uh, the company has not responded officially to the allegations. Well, they've responded officially, but they haven't issued a certain statement on it. They did issue a statement that the company will cooperate with the investigation. Uh, very, very, very standard in, in scandals, I suppose, uh, like these. Obviously, Zion is going to be one of the biggest superstars in basketball, or at least he appears that he is going to be, um, and he is going to sign a big shoe deal soon. Lots of corporate undertones going on here, guys. Obviously, there is a lot of money at play here, but I want to know, is it time for college athletes to start getting paid? If not by the NCAA, should they be allowed to receive money from sponsorships, Chris? Well, listen, the, the whole Nike thing, I, it's, it's hard to consider these things scandals when when this stuff happens all the time it's just nike <laughs> doesn't know how to hide their their money like stuff like this when it comes to paying athletes i mean that's luke and i told you this before like we talk about this in our classes all the time we talk about it with actual student athletes and you know it's honestly it's a mixed bag you you know um it it, it depends on the school it depends on the university um there is a a sort of stipend that they receive but is it enough to accommodate certain meals and stuff? That's up That's up for debate, and I think that's obviously what we're doing and here. But You do bring up a good point. I mean, nobody – I don't think if money were to come into question, the a player playing for North Dakota State isn't going to receive the same amount. At least I would I, – I, maybe – maybe hopefully they would. You would hope you so. Would, you would it's... hope so, but I, I think in the world of just cap, straight capitalism. Uh, that's not how it works. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, just – it's not going to happen. So, I mean, when it comes to paying athletes, I – I, I, I don't know that I've made up my mind on that. My my heart says, you know, give them a little little extra. If anything, minimum wage. I think I think you got to give them minimum wage because it's there's a whole like litigation as to whether or not they're employees and such. It's mm -hmm. it, it's a whole bag. And taxes and such, and taxes of course. And, uh, yeah. Luke, 
Nick, I am so, so tired of having this same conversation. It seems like every year. Well, because I, I'm sorry. I will try to do better. No, <laughs> it's, it's, it's not. It's no fault of your own. But the simple fact is these scandals are out. Like Chris said, I don't know if we can call them scandals anymore. They happen every single year. And they happen to the biggest programs in the country. Kansas, Duke, LSU dismissing their head coach this year. It just happens all the time now. And the NCAA still tries to act high and mighty like they're above this. Like they're not letting this slide anymore. Except it happens all the time. So I'm, I am all for, at this point, all for players receiving benefits um, that are equal to what they're bringing to their respective sports. Um, Duke basketball, yes, they're receiving scholarships um, to attend Duke University, but that's nowhere near what they're worth in terms of what, how much money they're bringing in to their respective athletic departments. So I would probably start with a, with a um, sort of equal amount for all players from that athletic department. And on top of that, um, to kind of put into play the free market, I think players should be allowed to capitalize off of their likeness, their mer- uh, their merchandise sales, um, appearances in video games, ads, Bring all that sort NCAA. of stuff. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> th- th- that, that's the main thing right there. <laughs> but, Matt, what do you think? Well, I have a little bit of a different take. I think that these players are getting paid. You know, they're getting their scholarships. College, you know, it's not cheap. And a lot of these players, you know, most of them are on either full ride or they're on some sort of scholarship where they're getting their college paid for. You know, that that should count for something. I feel like that colleges, they should, they're giving you money to come to the school by giving you free school. You know, if someone wants to take a deal from Nike to go to a school, I think that's fine. But I don't think colleges should be paying money to you don't you don't think there should be anything extra when they're when the school is already paying a tuition for especially some of the ivy league schools up to fifty sixty thousand dollars correct correct now i i think it is just to play devil's advocate for those who are saying that you know that that athletes should get paid is so then should all athletes across the entire athletics department so that because it's not just college basketball because it's not just college basketball it's not just college football do does the women's basketball team or does does the softball team does the baseball team all get paid the same amount even though they're not bringing in the same amount of revenue of course that's not their fault but at the same time it's it's an interesting debate to, to it's an interesting point to consider i think and and that's kind of where my thoughts lied um, because every, I think the central sport that everybody's kind of concerned about is definitely basketball. I think it comes up the most when you do talk about college basketball. But you can't have one sport that has uh, monetization for players, if I guess we'll use that general term. You can't just have one sport because it's going to affect every, every other sport. It's going to affect women's. How are women's wages going to factor into this? Mm-hmm. How, are, how, is, how are football players going to be judged by their skills in term, in, in, instead of basketball players being judged by their skills? And, of course, I, I asked you at the end of your take, how do we judge you know, how much a player gets? I think everybody is so focused on the, on the what and not the how it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. But with that being said, I think on a general blanket statement – I would like to see college players get paid. I think it's time that it uh, that it begins to happen, but I kind I kind of want something in return for that, um, and it's not necessarily a requirement. But I think that if college athletes are going to start getting paid, especially uh, in college basketball, and this point is more it's definitely geared towards college basketball. If players are going to start being paid, they need to stay at more than one year, because mm-hmm. when you think about it, especially in the sport of college basketball, people are you know flying through their freshman year, they're going and they're getting bags in the uh, the NBA. And that definitely it definitely doesn't affect the big programs like Duke that have three and four stars on their bench. Um, 
but it definitely affects other programs like a Florida State, uh, like like a Michigan who maybe doesn't have the best team ever here, like it like a Wisconsin, et cetera, et cetera. So when you're talking about monetization uh, of players and their likeness, you should be. I think the players should be able to have that, but they need to give a little bit more of their time to the NCAA. I think that would be uh, great for the fans. No, wait, what do you mean? They they already give so much time. Well, they give their time, but I'm talking more about one oh. and dones. Oh, I see. Okay. So okay. you can't. That's I'm, an I'm ba- uh, yeah, I'm basically saying the one and dones can't have their cake and eat it too, uh, in that mm-hmm. sense. So, you know, the, you're required to stay two years. It's going to benefit the fans. It's going to benef- benefit the players. Make them more well-rounded prospects. Now, then, at that point, does the NBA then get rid of the rule that says you need to go to college first? That's that's the give, that's the other the thing. The that's the that's the too. other thing that I've seen uh, uh, people talking about. Go ahead, Luke. They, they better give them the option to declare right out of high school because if you're going to say they have to, if, if they declare and go to a school that they have to say for a certain number of years, then that, that streamlines the process even more. You're basically funneling these players into colleges and making them stay mm-hmm. because what's their alternative? Going to a different country? We saw how that worked out for Langelo and LaMelo Ball. <laughs> They're not <laughs> sniffing close to what they could have been if they had stayed in the States well, with Luke, that exposure. I, th- I think when you have a dad like that, um, <laughs> there isn't exactly much you can do. Um, but with that all being said, that was the Off the Top 7, sponsored by me, brought to you by me, um, delivered and answered by our panel. That's us. That is you. <laughs> that is you tonight. Um, so, obviously, football is back, but only for a short time in Tallahassee as the spring game has come and gone, and everybody um, is excited to see how this te- this year's team looks. The attendance was um, a little bit underwhelming in comparison to last year's. I think there, there was... a big comparison. It, yeah, <laughs> there was like 60,000 people attending last year's game, see, and I think there was only 27,000 attending correct. this year. Yeah. Um, so, maybe uh, Tallahassee isn't as excited as I am uh, to see... <laughs> <laughs> to see how well, I think they're a little disillusioned when you compare the excitement that went into last season you've got Willie Taggart coming in so much positivity so much energy coming into it when Willie ran around the ring basically <laughs> at the end of the spring game that's everybody bought into this to this to this program and then to see what came as a result of that it's a little like I think now Tallahassee needs to see something before they get excited. That's and that's definitely fair enough, mm-hmm. Luke. I'm I'm going to start with you. What what was your biggest takeaway? I guess blanket takeaway from the spring game. What's one thing that you could focus on? Yeah. So first, I want to preface that we shouldn't put that much stock into a spring game, Absolutely. as evident by last year. We <laughs> were all hyped and we saw what happened. But if I had to draw something away from the spring game, I would say it was the performance of Jaleel McRae in that linebacking core. He looked. Poised, he looked efficient. He looked like he had been there before when he was making tackles and playing in coverage. And I want to key in on the idea of coverage because that was something that FSU struggled with last year, especially on their linebacking course. So if they could get a more well-rounded effort in that department, I think they're going to have a. I mean, it's hard to ha- have a less successful year than last year. <laughs> so Matt, what we were what we were able to see, at least in a, a, a smaller, you know, more controlled fashion, is how. The offensive looks with different quarterbacks at the helm. Of course, you had Blackman on uh, the goal team, and then you had uh, Jordan Travis on the guarding team. And obviously, there's a the huge question in the air. Is he going to be able to clear waivers? Is the NCAA going to grant him his eligibility for the season? But with that all being said, um, at least in my opinion, I saw two very differing styles of offense. And I'm wondering what you thought on the comparison between those two quarterbacks. Well, when you compared the two, I thought I thought James Blackman played pretty well. Um, he looked... 
you know, you have, like Luke said, you have to take the spring game with a grain of salt. You have to kind of see that, you know, this isn't real football time. And, but James Blackman looked very strong. And the other quarterback, Jordan Travis, Jordan Travis, I thought he showed promise, but at the same time, he showed some flaws. I, I, I kind of have to take a di- disagree. I thought Jordan Travis actually looked, I'm not going to say he looked better than Blackman. Because Blackman did play extremely well. He had a different skill set. But he has a different skill set. And and as we talked about over the weekend, Chris, I think that Jordan Travis has a serious, serious chance of starting for this football team some point next season. I would not be surprised at all. Because one thing that I just was able to observe when it came between the differences between Blackman and Travis is that Blackman still, um, and of course you can make the argument that he hasn't really had playing time since his freshman season, obviously, but he still looks very flat-footed, and he wants to stick too much to the pocket. He, he seems to, and of course that is the style of quarterback that he is. He's pro-style. He wants to sit in the quarterback, make the throws, and he can make those throws. I mean, he launched some absolute bombs during <laughs> the spring game. But when I, I'm just thinking about the offensive line and how you, know, you saw it break down so much, even in the spring game, and I take a look at the skill set that a Jordan Travis has, and he has the ability to make plays. Yes, absolutely. But... Looking at the stats too, the 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 gold team is that who? Yeah, the gold team who was playing against Jordy Travis or I'm sorry, Jordan Travis uh, had seven sacks on him. Right. So yes, you, Jordan Travis has that mobility that Blackman doesn't. You know, he was able to roll out a lot more, which which as as you mentioned, you and I were both talking about, really impressed by. But still, they were still able to get sacks, and I don't know if that's a result of how the offensive line was split up. You know, you've got certain guys mismatched and everything. Um, but I agree. I wouldn't be surprised to see uh, Jordan Travis getting, if, assuming he clears, if he gets some starts. The good news about the offensive line is that there were enough uh, healthy and available players to split the offensive line into two teams, whereas <laughs> last year uh, that was not the case. But um, I, I, you talked about the sacks. you got to keep in mind that uh, sacks, at least in the spring game, are there. the quarterbacks are touch. They're, they're double touch. Uh, so sacks aren't always a representative of how the play would end. Sure. I saw a bunch of plays in which Jordan Travis did get touched, but he didn't necessarily go down. It was from behind, and he could have legitimately scrambled for about 30 yards. And those playmaker kind of plays, Luke, were the one thing that I think Florida State really, really lacked on offense last year, apart from a diverse playbook. Yeah, well, absolutely. Last year there was plenty, plenty of indecision made by DeAndre Francois, and that was just maddening for Florida State fans all over the country. But I think it'll be an absolute travesty if James Blackman doesn't at least get the chance to start off the season as your number one QB. Well, and, I th- and, I think, and I think he will start. He is definitely proven, at least to me. And he's I think proven he's, and he's earned it. He mm-hmm. has stuck around with yes. this program through yeah. thick and thin. Because he, he was thinking about transferring, of course, and then he sat down with Taggart and the staff, and he decided to pull his name out of the transfer portal and uh, Florida State all collectively had a gigantic sigh of relief. Uh, Matt, one thing that we also saw during this game was the receiving core, and for me personally, I think it's probably one of the best that Florida State has had in recent memory. Um, Warren Thompson seems like, I mean, he only had one catch, and I think he had eight targets, but that one catch was for 80 yards. Phenomenal. And it was, uh, he, I think he, I don't know if the defender just tripped or he shook him out of his boots, or, or his <laughs> cleats rather, but... At least in my opinion, I think that when you have a guy like Warren Thompson that takes a lot of pressure in the deep third game off of a guy like uh, Tamorian Terry. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think if you were to ask me if I was excited about one uh, aspect of this team would be the wide receiver core. Mm-hmm. You have Tamarion uh, Terry, 
uh, DJ Matthews, you know, it's on Helton. Yeah. yeah, it's it's stacked almost. And when you look at them and you look how fast, I think if James Blackman is able to escape, you know, sacks with the offensive line struggles, I think that we can have a real potent offensive. Now, offense. The, the offense was I don't want to I don't want to say a little bit too predictable, Chris, but from what from what we saw, that was one of my main concerns coming out of the mm-hmm. game. Now, of course, if I guess if you're making a list of pros and cons, pros improving linebacker core, uh, pros uh, Blackman looked strong in his in his uh, appearance, and Jordan Travis obviously a pro. Uh, we talked about him already. He looks to be a very at least a very dependable backup, if not um, a debatable starter. One thing that was definitely on the con list for me was how predictable this offense looked, and it looked like it really had not changed, apart from maybe getting, what, maybe one or two seconds faster? Sure, but also at the same time, it's it, you're not going to show up your entire playbook during a spring game. It, it's it's a matter of, you, you know, maybe you're practicing certain plays that you really want to, well, I guess you're not going to show off the plays you want to perfect. But there's there's a, a, a limited resource that I think, you know, the coaches are pulling from in this sense. Uh, there was a lot of you know sideline passes. There were a lot of really that kind of that air raid offense, a more air raid style offense that Kendall Browse has want, has tried to bring. Yeah, I, uh, I think I think Willie Willie got the message that the run game wasn't working so yes, well last year. Yes, but I, I'm still I I understand your point, Chris. Not we're not going to be able to see everything uh, in the spring game. I'm sure, of course, as as the quarterbacks all came in and they got their reps, they wanted to run the same play, see how they performed, because the spring game is not just a a way for the fans to see what this football team uh, is going to be like, of course, taken with a grain of salt. It's also for the, the, the coaching staff to take a look at the team and get a really good idea of what pieces are working under a stadium atmosphere and what pieces aren't. But I don't know if you still held the same opinion uh, or if you hold the same opinion, but I still think that it just looked very predictable. And I think, especially with how fast the offense has moved, uh, it's really going to put a lot of pressure on the defense again. Yeah, I think you can you can bait all you want about the predictability of certain plays that went on during the game, but I think one thing that the coaching staff has to hold their head high about and one thing that fans should be looking forward to is how much how much more organized the whole team looked in terms of getting the right men on the field, getting in the right positions, getting everyone set. Um, it just looked like a more business-like approach to it as compared to last year when it looked like everything was in disarray toward that Florida game was the epitome was the epitome of how disorganized everything was last year, and so I think that was one thing that I could take away that was a positive for FSU. Matt, we we saw uh, Kalen LeBourne, um for the first time, I guess, in Dope Campbell Stadium. Of course, you know he's been practicing, but uh, this is the first time that we have seen him since, of course, the injury. And was it Virginia Tech was that? I think so. No, no, it was. I think was it Stanford? Stanford. It was Stanford. Stanford. Um, what were your general impressions on how he looked after coming off of such a horrible injury? You know, seeing him come in in the spring game kind of scared me almost. Like, I don't want him to come in and re-injure himself, but I think he did what he from what he did show was promise. Um, I'm glad they kept his snap count down because I do not want to see him go down in a spring game where it doesn't even matter. I think he did. He did show promise though. I, I think he's going to be RB one. You think so? I think wow. he's. I think they're going to start him over Acres. So Absolutely. I. So I mean, I was I was going to ask for your bold prediction for the season, uh, and, that, and that's that you think Acres is going to get, get overtaken by LeBorn. I think so. I th- I think LeBorn has shown a lot more athleticism. Just the way that the way that he cuts on defenders and is able to shake these guys off. I think I think he's shown that he has potential to make big plays on the ground when Florida State needs it. I'm not so sure. Uh, I think I think they'll use them. 
Um, and of course, as a Miami Dolphins fan growing up, this is the only way that I could rem- like think of using them. But kind of like the Ronnie Brown, Ricky Williams kind of duo, <laughs> the lightning and the thunder uh, during those seasons in Miami. It's kind of that one-two punch. I don't necessarily think that Akers is going to be totally overtaken. I think he is a solid number one, and he deserves to be in that spot until proven otherwise. But um, I think it's very above the shoulders for Akers when he wants to play. He is going to play well. It's a matter of him buying back into what Tiger wants to do. But, Luke, I want to hear your bold prediction for the season based on the spring game, if you have one. Yeah, absolutely. So one bold prediction that I would throw out there is that James Blackman is going to start the season as quarterback number one, and he will do nothing to uh, detract from that throughout the season. I think he finishes as quarterback number one and uh, makes FSU fans really happy. All right, Matt, do you have a bold prediction for me? Yeah, I'm going to make a bold prediction. I'm going to say that we, or Florida State, goes... And wins nine games. Nine games That's, this season. I, I, I think that Florida State can, if all goes well, they can take advantage of their speed and wide receivers. And if James Blackman can find them, this is going to be a good team. Now, who are the three? Who are those three losses coming to from? Oh well, of course you're going to throw Clemson in there. Yeah. Um. You know, Florida looks good. The game's in Gainesville, too. Yeah, it is Ooh. in Gainesville in the swamp. And I don't know. I think maybe Florida State drops an early one to a team they should have beaten. And just to, Yeah, and just just to take a look at the schedule, you have Boise State, uh, Louisiana Monroe, Virginia, Louisville, NC State, Clemson, Wake Forest, Syracuse, uh, Miami on the 2nd of November, Boston College, Alabama State, and then Florida. Chris, this is a miles easier schedule than Florida State has <laughs> had over the uh, the past couple of the past couple of seasons. So, I I don't necessarily I, I it's a bold prediction, but I don't really think that it's one that's really that far out there. There's definitely a lot of teams that Florida State can take advantage of. Obviously, uh, Boise State is going to be a very, very decent test at the very beginning of the season. They've I think always, that's a great game to start on. It's a good game to start a good on. Good test, I think. Uh, you're not you're not facing off uh, against uh, oh, top yeah. tw- top twenty five team at the beginning of the season. <laughs> Uh, and then there there are some easier teams. You know, uh, NC State doesn't have Ryan Finley anymore. Louisville is is in I guess a rebuild mode for a college program. Clemson, that game is going to be tough. <laughs> uh, Syracuse doesn't have Eric Dungy. So a lot of the, the, the powerful teams that were in the ACC last season have really lost a lot of their playmakers, um, at least at the quarterback position. And it's going to be interesting to see kind of how Florida State takes the takes season in stride. So we are about halfway through the show. We managed to somehow talk a very long time about football. I mean, it's <laughs> always fu- stuff. To talk it, 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 it's, there's always stuff to talk about when it comes to Florida State football. So on the other side of the break, we are going to talk about the continued downfall uh, of Florida State baseball in Mike Martin's final season. We're going to talk a little bit about what they need to do to kind of get back on track. I know it's it's something that I guess is becoming a weekly theme on the show. <laughs> um, hopefully, I mean, of course, as a fan, you don't want that to continue. But uh, we do also have the seminal segment uh, with Scott Clemens, the time honor tradition. Uh, halfway through the break, we'll be back in 90 seconds. You're listening to Tomahawk Talk on WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State. Like the gates of heaven are 
Good evening, everybody. This is Scott Clemens with your Tom- Tomahawk Talk Seminal segment. And we start off today with an impressive win for FSU's women's, women's tennis team as they knocked off 10th-ranked North Carolina State on Sunday. Despite losing the doubles point early on, the Seminoles rallied back during singles, taking four first sets during the round. Juniors Nandini Das and Andrea Garcia dominated on their courts, with Das winning both sets 6-1 and Garcia beating the Wolfpack's Amanda Rebel 6-3 and 6-1. After NC State won the next two matches, Anna Oparovic tied the game at 3-3 after a strong performance in her third set. It would be Emmanuel Salas that would pull it out for Florida State, beating Alana Smith 7-6 in the final set. With this win, the Seminoles will return to Tallahassee in good form as they take on Virginia on Thursday in Louisville on Saturday to cap the final weekend of this season. Moving on, Florida State Swimming earned some good press today as Will Pisani and Nina Kusharin were selected to represent Team Canada at international competitions this summer. Pisani, a senior, has made a name for himself in Tallahassee, taking home five All-American accolades at this year's NCAA Championships. He will represent his country at the 2019 FINA World Championships after taking home a, bro- a bronze and posting a personal best of 49.43 seconds in the 100-meter freestyle at the Canadian Trials. Kusharan burst onto the scene at the at the trials, winning bronze in the 50-meter breaststroke. She will represent Canada at the World University Championships in Italy this summer. Seminoles coach Neil Studd has been elated by his young prospect, saying that Kusharan has a bright future of, ahead of her in Seminole sw- swimming. That was all for today's Seminole segment. Now back to Nick Carlisle and Chris Camacho in the studio. And thank you, Scott, for the time-honored tradition, the Seminole segment. segment. Wow. Wow, that was also... Is that the the hunger speak in there? Yeah, that that was a disastrous uh, tongue twister. Ladies and Um, gentlemen, just so you know, Nick and I are starting a diet this week. Well, (laughs) a a, a diet of sorts. Of sorts. We're uh, intermittent fasting. Um, it's been it's been quite a, a journey already. Yeah, we're just trying. I mean, it. trying something new, uh, just seeing how it goes. I suppose. Might as well. But if you have any uh, dieting tips, tweet it to us. Let us know. Get somebody get Nick some food, because <laughs> he needs it. Yeah, he needs it. Uh, I need it. Uh, no Weight Watchers. Um, <laughs> if you tweet at me, Weight Watchers, I'm blocking you. Um, <laughs> with that being said, on the other side of the break, we've talked about the spring game. Our thoughts, impressions on. Uh, the very very limited take that we've uh, received on uh, I thought you were going to say thoughts and prayers thoughts and prayers I need which thoughts, I guess I need thoughts and prayers no right I was now. saying I'm for the football hungry. team but well thoughts and pr- well both, let, let's not jump to conclusions <laughs> quite yet. baseball needs it more than football right? yeah, yeah baseball needs it um, I, I mean I don't know where to start I, I don't <laughs> know where to start Luke I, I we we talk on the on the show last week um, Boston College is a series that Florida State should not have lost. Uh, they dropped the Tuesday uh, matchup against Jacksonville University 2-3, to three, which Jacksonville, if you didn't know, if you're not a follower of baseball, Jacksonville does have a very, very um, uh, adept and a uh, very nice baseball team. Uh, definitely not pushovers, especially in a me- uh, midweek game where you know teams could take one off you all the time. Um, and there, that was another game, Luke, in which a pitching disaster um, just struck Florida State. Yeah, like you said, Jacksonville is no slouch at all. They've beaten Florida State and Florida this year now. And um, I thought the game on Tuesday, it was unfortunate. Um, 
and I just didn't think there was any cohesion between the offense and the pitching. I mean, three or two runs, or giving up three runs, that should win you ball games in most occasions. But on Tuesday, it just wasn't meant to be. Yeah, sometimes it just sees. Of course, we were talking about how the pitching just seems to have gotten completely. Uh, I think I think the expression I used in my article when I wrote it was, uh, Florida State pitching has gone south for spring break and has stayed there. Um, <laughs> I mean, they're really just nowhere to be found. But now it's just the batting that has almost really untimely gotten cold, Chris. Yeah, um, if, I'm, if I'm not mistaken, they went nearly 30 innings scoreless, which is... Something, I don't know, was, I don't know about that. It uh, was 26 innings. 26 innings. Well, uh, taking a look at it, of course, you, you the the weekend series against Miami Hurricanes we talked about on the show, Chris, last week. Very, very important for uh, Florida State to win this series. They go scoreless in the first two games of the series. Lose the Friday game, um, eleven to nothing. They lose the the Saturday game, four to nothing. And then, of course, they get a a very I'm not going to say it's a lucky win on Sunday, but <laughs> it's probably a game that they they probably should have lost as win well. Win is a win is a win. A win is a win is a win, <laughs> but. Chris, I mean, I guess I'm looking for a status report on how you're feeling about the team at this point because, at least for me, it the, the morale is just getting lower and lower, and I think you could see it not only in the faces of the Garden and Gold faithful, but you could see it on the faces of the players as well. No, absolutely. I, I think when, when you when you lose, what, what were they on, a three-game, three- or four-game losing streak? Uh, they've lost four in a row. Four in a row. A four-game losing streak, that's obviously not the way you want to you – be that like that's not the condition you want to be in the middle of your season, especially when you're playing uh, Florida tomorrow. <laughs> you know, but admittedly that that win yesterday that's a big morale booster. Uh, <laughs> a win is a win is a win. Especially They'll... a win in the way that they did. Exactly, mm-hmm. and I'll tell you what, J.C. Flowers has not been the most consistent hitter, but whenever he has come up clutch, it's it's been in big fashion. What was the stat before the show? You told me something like J.C. Flowers, it was For maybe the fourth, the fourth t- time this season he <laughs> saved the game and he also hit a home run. Correct. If I'm not mistaken, there's only one player, one other player in the country, and it, it was a catcher for Vanderbilt, if I'm not mistaken, uh, who has done the same thing. He's the, uh, I believe he is the, J.C. Flowers is the first player since Buster Posey in 2008 uh, to do the same thing. Wow, that's yeah. a, that's that's incredible. So Matt, this team starts off the season twelve and zero, breeze through non conference play, hit the wall uh, when they when they reach ACC play, and now I I'm not exactly quite sure. I think they've lost, um, I believe twelve out of their last. I think it was twelve out of their last. I don't know. That can't be right. They've lost a lot. Let's just put it yeah, that way. They've lost. A lot. Where's if you're on this team? Where's your mind at? All right. So early on in those first twelve games when they were winning. They were very dependent on the long ball. The, you know, almost I'd say ninety percent of their runs came from home runs. And at you knew at some point you thought the bats were going to go quiet, and they did. And it's really this has been the outcome. The bats have gone quiet. The pitching slacked, and the dependency on the long ball has really come back to bite them. Right. And one thing that I thought was very very interesting, and this happened uh, in the press post post game press conference uh, for the Jacksonville game. Uh, Luke, is that, I mean, that was the game that J.C. Flowers actually got a start, Mm -hmm. and that was also a game in which Mike Martin said, we're not going to do that again, and it's not because he didn't pitch well. I mean, um, Flowers has the best ERA on the team with a a .66, which is really good. Of course, you know, he's coming in 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 closing situations most of the time, but in his start, he think only only allowed one hit and maybe two walks, something Mm -hmm. like that. Very, very good line, but Mike Martin said that 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 pitching decision – Completely, you know, 
kind of screwed over the rest of his night in terms of finding rosters, and they had to oh, yeah. have somebody available whenever they had to exchange pitchers. So knowing that Flowers, who is the best pitcher on the team at this point, and having him basically been ruled out to not start another game this season, where do you think Florida State goes next with their pitching decisions? Because Drew Parrish, um, the supposed ace of this team, I mean, he has a 6.21 ERA, and that's not good. No. Um, well, here's the, here's the message that sending J.C. Flowers out on the mound sends me. It tells me that there's no real direction for this pitching staff right now. Uh, Mike Martin is literally scrambling to his position players to find quality pitching appearances, and that stems from the fact that Drew Parrish hasn't lived up to expectations this year. So, and I think that's the the root of all Florida State's struggles this year is that they can't find consistent innings from their pitchers. Uh, coupled that with the fact that the bats have gone quiet during times, I don't think out of the top seven hitters on Florida State's team, not one of them has a positive strikeout to walk ratio. That's insane wow. that no, that none of them have a positive strikeout to walk ratio. So when you can't get on base and you're not getting quality innings out of your pitchers and you're scrambling to find pitchers. It's a recipe for disaster. And I think one thing that's also fallen off is this team's um, ability to draw walks. Um, I think that that was really something that helped this team early on. And, and as um, I think it was you, Matt, who said that they lived on the long ball early on the season. Of course, when you have runners on base and you do hit those long balls, the, ra- the, the, the runs can tally up on the scoreboard very quickly. But... Chris, kind of just taking a look at everything and understanding the week that Florida State has uh, this next week, Florida and Clemson. How do you how do you enter this week? What's your mindset entering the the this game, especially against Florida, knowing that you could potentially drop an eleventh straight to the Gators? It's it's the thing with baseball. It's it, you got to have a short term memory, and unfortunately, I think Florida State has been dwelling too much on what they've been doing wrong. Um, their game yesterday is their second game since win 2000 uh, without an error. So that's obviously there's there's some mental improvement. And when you see once they start getting themselves together mentally, uh, they start to make things happen. You, you're As you mentioned, you're going into a game tomorrow against the Gators. Uh, interesting fact, tomorrow will be the 153rd, 153rd game that Mike Martin will be coaching against the Gators. His record, you know what his record is? I do not know his record. 76 and 76. Wow. Tomorrow, his last game wow. will decide whether he has a winning record or a losing record against the Gators. And I think that's, that is a fascinating storyline to go into. And it, Chris, if there was ever a time to catch the Gators by surprise in Absolutely. a game like this, it would be tomorrow. Florida Absolutely. is coming off a series sweep against Ole Miss. They got scored at uh, outscored 40 to 18 in that series wow. and they're one in seven on the road this year so now would be the perfect time to gain some momentum and beat the gators wow so so <laughs> so one in you said one in seven one in seven so one one in seven on the road so this this florida team has really kind of proven to be a little bit more vulnerable especially than teams past absolutely and um it's really i don't want to say it's not going to be the hardest thing for Florida State and able to come out with a victory and then make that 76 uh, and 76 make uh, go on the right side of history for <laughs> Mike Martin. But when it comes to the mentality of the team, I, I know I keep focusing on the mentality of yeah. the team because this team deep down is very talented, and I and I still really believe that. But it gets to a point where it's it's definitely above the shoulders. I think we've said that on the show multiple times. But Matt, Luke, where does it stem from a problem of mentality to a coaching problem 
Um, and it's ve- it's very very obviously I'm tiptoeing around it because uh, Mike Martin is one of the best coaches that will ever play or, or excuse me ever ever coach in this game. But maybe it's the assistant coaching. Maybe it's just the players not being coachable. What what where on the line do you fall, and when does it cross back and forth from that line? If you get my question, I I think that it's up to the upperclassmen on the team because there this team is loaded with young talent. I think it's up to the captain Drew Mendoza or uh, Mike Salvatore to you know get the guys together. You know, say guys, look, come on, let's go, like let's focus. And it's really their job to get the team focused on the game. So. Knowing that the Gators are in town on Tuesday and knowing that Clemson is coming into town uh, over the weekend, Luke, where are you foreseeing this weekend go for Florida State? Knowing how Florida State's pitching situation is going right now, I'm leaning towards Florida winning tomorrow night. Um, It's going to be a packed house. It's an important game for FSU. But at the end of the day, Florida's just got too many arms compared to Florida State in the back of that bullpen, and in the front of their rotation. Right. So that I'm leaning towards Florida on that game, um, which leaves me to believe that the Clemson game is going to be an even more of a huge rebound opportunity for Florida State. Um, but again, I don't see them winning more than one game, maybe two. Uh, that's, just, that's just the state of affairs within Florida State baseball right now. Yeah, I'm kind of inclined to agree at this point. I think that uh, the uh, excuse me, uh, the Seminoles drop uh, the tomorrow night's game against the Gators, and they'll, they'll lose the series this weekend against Clemson. They might get a game, and that's a big heavy might because I just, as much as I believe in this baseball team, I don't have I mean the belief and confidence I think are two different things. <laughs> I would agree. Um, I don't I don't have confidence in this team, but I do believe that the talent is there. So, Chris, uh, just closing thoughts on this weekend and what it means for Florida State. Is this the weekend that they have to turn it around, or is there still some room for error? No, I think this is the weekend that they have to turn it around. Um, well, again, it's hard in a game like baseball where any every game it's it's anybody's game. Um, and, and as we saw last year in the ACC tournament, I mean, Florida State wasn't, you know, the the most highly touted team going into the ACC tournament, and yet they still – was it was that last year? That was 2017. Like, lots, okay, of comparisons, me, two, lots of comparisons to the 2017, uh, 2017 team. That's right. And everybody's like, well, it's the same thing. You just got to give them time. You forget that 2017 team, that was a preseason number one. This is a preseason number, preseason number 11, I believe. So the talent is not exactly the same. No, but I think it goes back to what Matt said. It, it, it's a young team. Um, I, I, I would agree that I don't think they, they come out on top against Clemson. Um, I, I hate to say, you, you definitely don't throw in the season, throw in the towel on the season. But at the same time, it's, I think this isn't a team that's going to go very far this year. And... Uh... Speaking of things that aren't going far, very far this year, Sebastian just walked in with a cowboy hat. Uh, I don't. It's Billy Ray Cyrus. <laughs> Billy, uh, do you have the horses in the back? <laughs> something, something, Old Town Road. Uh, just yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, anyways, <laughs> moving on. Uh, there were a couple of Final Four games that were played uh, oh, yeah. in the midst of this past weekend, and uh, both were very, very defensive games. Both ended up being. Um, or at least the Auburn versus Virginia game ended up being very, very close. And, of course, there is the controversy uh, around the last few minutes of that game. Of course, the missed double dribble call that I don't think even the best referee in the world would have spotted. And then the uh, the, the foul uh, on the three-pointer in the um, in the corner. Uh, Luke, what are your general thoughts on that game and how it ended? Well, it was an egregious no-call by the refs. It was a missed call that could have objectively ended the game for Auburn. But at the same time, 
A basketball game is 40 minutes in college. There were plenty, plenty of opportunities for Auburn to come back um, from their deficit. They were down 10 at one point before they made their run. There were plenty of opportunities before that. And at the end of the game, right before that missed call, Jared Harper, Auburn's most consistent player down the stretch, missed a free throw that would have put him up by three. And if he had made that, Kyle Guy would be shooting for the tie instead of the lead. So I can't put it all on that missed call, but it was a huge, huge, huge missed call. As I think I, people really haven't put um, everything on the missed call because there were factors later into the game that definitely um, deterred Auburn uh, from winning this game. But, Chris, just seeing the run that they've had throughout this tournament, um, are they the most impressive team? Uh, I guess are I'm not going to say the most impressive team. Are they the story of this tournament? Uh, Auburn? Yes. Is, uh, no, honestly, I listen, I, I think Auburn ha- I agree. Auburn has had an incredible run, but at the same time, I'm looking at the stat that I, at the the notification that I got after uh both final four games uh completed and that's that uh 0.5% of brackets on ESPN had Texas Tech making it to the final. I did not expect Texas Tech to make it that far. I, I think Texas Tech has shown just what an offensive and and honestly defensive powerhouse that they that they can be, and I'm really excited. I'm really excited to see what they can show tonight. Yeah, this is the first time that either team has been in, a, uh, or I not say the first time that they've been in the championship position, but uh, this is the first time that they have the opportunity uh, that they will, or one of these two teams will. Uh, garner a championship and of course uh, Texas Tech is on the opposing side from uh, Virginia uh, upset I'm not necessarily going to call it an upset but I think by 10 points um, even though it kind of ballooned up to that point at the the end of the game um, talk about just Texas Tech and what they've been able to do during this tournament Matt you know Texas Tech is the best coach team in basketball right now their defense is so good and they're able to force a turnover almost half the time. You they're they keep the game like the Michigan game. Mm-hmm. The the game score, I got the notification for the half and I was I thought it was a typo. Michigan scored the lowest maybe I think it was the lowest in college or the tournament's history for a first half. Right. 18 points. Yeah. yeah so so the you really have to look at the coaching, you know. Chris Beard has had an excellent year for Texas Tech, and I think that's, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I think the results definitely speak for yourself, and, of course, Chris is on the uh, the opinion that Texas Tech is the story of the tournament. Well, um, I, because, like, I, I think when when Luke and I went to the Sweet 16 game, I, I think most people expected it. If it, if it wasn't going to be Florida State, then it was going to be Gonzaga against Michigan. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when when Texas Tech did what they did to Michigan, it was like, okay, okay, well, you know, Gonzaga will pull away with the win against Texas Tech, and then Texas Tech wins again. I, I don't know. I just I, – I, I feel like they've con- they've consistently been the underdog. They're the underdog tonight. Um, I, I think this is the Cinderella story of, of the tournament this year. Luke, considering how both of those final four games ended, who do you think has the mental – edge who has the momentum coming into the championship game tonight oh i think they both have a ton a ton of confidence heading into this game chris beard's group they buy into what he preaches in terms of defensive effort um at the same time virginia is a skilled and poised team that has been there multiple times i think they've gotten a one seed four out of the last five years with the exception of maybe one um so both both of them are highly qualified to win this game uh at the end of the day though I think Virginia has too much talent in that backcourt. I think Ty Jerome and Kyle Guy are the real deal, 
Um, and I haven't seen Jarrett Culver been as consistent down the stretch as the two, those two guys for Virginia. So I'd give the edge to Virginia. And I think that is the story. It's going to be a battle of which teams, I'm not going to call them superstars, but which teams, uh, established players, are going to take over this game. Because you're, you're right, Luke. Culver has kind of, I'm not going to say he's been completely MIA, but as, as in comparison to the first couple of games of the tournament that he's had, uh, the last few have not been as good. And um, especially with Owens, um, you know, his questionability on where he's going to be at health-wise, of they course. They shoot him up with a ton of drugs at yeah, the end. Yeah, I don't, I, don't know what, I don't know what they put in him, uh, but to see him jogging back out onto the court after seeing him turn his ankle like that. Um, it's like Rocky. Nick, yeah. cocaine is a hell of a drug. <laughs> well, let's not, well let, let's not assume. Wow, accusations. Let's not assume. No, the, that uh, was, of course, a, a, a joke. Yes. FCC. Uh, jokes. <laughs> no, but uh, you, you could see glimpses down the stretch that Culver... <laughs> banging on the door. Culver was trying to make a game for himself, and he, he ended up hitting the dagger three that kind of iced the game for Texas Tech. Right. If they can get even a sliver of his potential in this game, I think that could take a, a total 180, because right now I think Virginia just has too much talent in that backcourt right now. Uh, yeah, and hold on. Uh, Sebastian, we're going to need to edit that in post, uh, by the way. Cocaine uh, <laughs> Cup. Yep. FCC, open up. Yep, yep, Shit. FCC is here, breathing down our necks. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, just general. It pre- was Jenny. It, 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 was Je- it was all Jenny's fault. Jenny, it was all your fault. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, she'll take, the, she'll take the blame. She is such a VA9 trooper. She is uh, literally the answer to Shout a lot to of Jenny. her problems. Shout out to Jenny, <laughs> Jenny and all she does. Um, There's anybody in Baltimore looking for a reporter? There you go. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Your your shout out on the uh, on the show. <laughs> um, yeah. So just general predictions. How do you see this one playing out tonight, Chris? Uh, you know, I've always th- I, I I was talking about this yesterday. I thought it was really funny how Virginia goes from being a national embarrassment the year before to nearly uh, they're about forty minutes away from becoming national champions. However, I don't think that's going to happen tonight. I think Texas Tech pulls this one out of nowhere. They've been playing some sloppy basketball, but. It's been a system that's worked for them throughout the entire tournament. I think they have the offensive prowess and the defensive prowess to make it past Virginia tonight. Luke, what do you think? I know what I'm getting out of Ty Jerome and Kyle Guy. I have no idea what I'm getting out of Culver tonight. And I think that Ty Jerome is going to do to Matt Mooney what Matt Mooney did to Cassius Winston and shut him down. I have Virginia. All right, Matt, what do you think? I think this game is going to be low scoring. Defense is going to... Uh, decide the game and I think whatever team jumps out first to the lead is going to keep that lead for the rest of the game and due to that I think Texas Tech will win because Virginia has a tendency to start slow like against Gardner-Webb. Of course and I think I think uh, the the operative phrase is I think it's a race to 50. Whoever can get there first it's going to be another very low scoring game it's not it's this is going to be a championship game that's not going to be the, the most exciting to watch throughout until the very very end um, it's going to be kind of one of those well why why are we watching this this is kind of boring kind of barnstormer can we kind talk of about how the first half of Michigan State Texas Tech was it ended 21 to 23 <laughs> that was I Luke what did you say that the, the this, this sixty-one and a half was the over/under for the end of the first half. Yeah, and they came out with a with a with a football score <laughs> uh, at halftime. Um, I, th- I this this one is kind of a hard game to call for me, especially because I to like understand and and expect that this is going to be a very defensive matchup if you're expecting anything other than that i don't know what to tell you watch me be wrong about that i hope it's entertaining it's going to be entertaining for us either way because this is what we live and this is what we live for well maybe not chris he's a baseball fan hey Um, (laughs) i um, still watch (laughs) you still watch um 
I, I think I think Luke really kind of hit it on the head when he said it. I think you know what you're getting out of Jerome. You know what you're getting out of Kyle Guy, although they do have the propensity to start kind of slow. I think you are going to have their shooting time. It's not that Texas Tech, Texas Tech can't shoot the ball. They can. I just think they aren't as consistent as Virginia is. I think Virginia has consistently had the best defense in the entire uh, country this year, and that defense is going to come up and it's going to shut down Texas Tech and a lot of what, the, what they want to do, especially because, again, Owens' health, that turned ankle. It might have been fine to get back into the game that day, but you can definitely expect that he's sore. I think Texas Tech is a little bit more beaten up of a team, and again, they're a little bit more consistent. Virginia is going to complete the complete turnaround from last year, going from zero to hero, um, and Virginia is going to get its first national title. Luke? Bold prediction, take the over in this game. I'm calling it. Wow. Take, the, take the over. 118 and a half. One, the over is 118.5. All right. There, it got to 118? It got to 118, apparently. Take it. Uh, there's, there's, what what are you, Lucky Luke? Loser Luke. Right? Lu- <laughs> You're a loser Luke right now. Uh, that's Luke Fay in the studio. He is the, uh, the gambler, the, uh, I, I don't know how to, the, the gambling expert, I suppose. That's not so much of an expert. He's our, <laughs> he's our resident gambler. He's just a degenerate. Call him what he is. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I give you a whole lot of credit for putting out gambling uh, bets in the, in the paper. Um, cause that is not, that is the type of courage. We are going to have a good time if we ever go to Vegas. Yeah, that, that, yeah that is the type of courage that I don't have. <laughs> uh, we do have, we do have a little bit of time. Really quick. I do want to make a shout out to, uh, to Baylor, uh, women's, uh, women's basketball. Yeah, absolutely. Congrats yeah. to them on winning the, the national championship. You know, you beat, you beat a tough Notre Dame team. Uh, just seeing the reaction coming from just the, the team in general after the win last night. I think that was it was a great moment yeah. to see. And I think I, I, I don't necessarily play favorites. I don't play favorites. Um, but I feel like the right team won this year, just seeing the elation on those, uh, those ladies' faces. Mm-hmm. Um, and I said this before the show, and I really meant it. That game was probably one of the best games I have seen in a long time. It was wildly entertaining. If you were not watching, um, the entire fourth quarter was really fantastic and back and forth. And I think the reason it was so entertaining for me is that, sure, there are back and forth games. There are back and forth bas- basketball games and, and men's basketball, the, the, the NBA, it, overseas. It's there. But the speed and the talent in which these ladies showcased really... Um, I'm not going to say it opened my eyes because I obviously, as, as doing this for a living or hoping to, we understand that these women are insanely talented. But the fact that this championship game was widely exciting and more mm-hmm. exciting than a fair portion of the games in the men's tournament this year, um, it's really something to behold. It was a fantastic game. Uh, congratulations to the Baylor Lady Bears on their win. So we do, I believe, <laughs> I, I, I was told... Um, <laughs> Luke is... He was begged. He's begging for the Masters He's on his um, in the last minute. Uh, so I'm going to bite the bullet here. Uh, Luke, you, you want to you come on here? You want to give a take real quick? Okay, we're going to get... Luke's. Here's my take. Uh, Charlie Hoffman and Tommy Fleetwood. That's who you guys need to bet on this week. Charlie Hoffman has led the first round of the Masters plenty of times. He falls apart in the third round. He's played really good or really well. I think he came in second place in the last tournament. Charlie Hoffman deadlock at the Masters for top 10 and bonus feature Fred Couples top 25 as a note on behalf of the station we do not provide legal gambling yeah, wait, advice. Yeah, yeah please 
so take that with green up if if you have if you have grievances please in all caps tweet to at the luke fay on twitter (laughs) (laughs) and uh leave us out of it because i i was swindled into allowing luke to talk about the masters on the show (laughs) but with that being said i believe last week i was told that this clock is actually a minute behind or something so we actually may be over or maybe they fixed it who knows they did fix it Uh, they did fix it good for us also Um, dodgers are up 2-0 let's go (laughs) go ahead end the show close it i can't i can't end it like that (laughs) uh thank you all so much for listening to tomahawk talk uh, this week we'll be back next week of course uh finishing our final thoughts on the uh, ncaa basketball season um new release is up next for chris for luke for matt for for luke again for everybody in the studio uh, for lauren and jenny on twitter you've been listening to tomahawk talk on wvfs tallahassee the voice of florida state we'll see you next week